Good afternoon. This is another wonderful episode of What's New in Wagyu, and we're off of our break. Uh, we decided to take a break over Christmas, and it just kind of extended in a little bit of January because we got a lot going on. But we're back at it again. You'll probably hear from us every other week or so. We'll have something cool today. We're going to cover a few things: um, live animal side, dead animal side. Uh, and we're going to start with dead animal side because we've got a few more things to talk about there. And I'd like to welcome Lane back to the show. Glad to be here. It's always a lot of fun to be on the webcast. And we have a lot of good things we're going to talk about. And excited to, to be here. So today we're going to start off by uh, we have now begun the time of year where we're back into killing Wagyu on a regular basis. Um, that's really the reality. Uh, once usually January hits our dedicated customers that, that buy whole animals, um, they start getting a little antsy and asking where their cows are. So, and then we start figuring out which ones we're going to butcher for them and, and get them to, uh, our clientele base. We've had a few different a little change this year. Uh, in the years past, I used to just meander out until Lane, it's Wagyu day and we'd kill Wagyu, but now we get to schedule them because Lane's decided to make the butcher shop busy. And the butcher shop has been busy. Oh man. We have a lot of people moving in the area that are frustrated with uh, prices in grocery stores and they're going out and uh, buying beef from the local farmers and ranchers and uh, sometimes those buys for these people turn out pretty good and sometimes it turns out not so good so the problem we run into a lot of times is is uh, more and more often for for as long as I've been a person who lives in Idaho which is my whole life uh, 35 years worth of residency um, there's never been this much influx of people moving to our state for one. And there's never been the farm to fork type mentality that they've brought with them, which good, bad or not, it is what it is. The problem is, is they are very, very, very naive and ill-informed. Like these people are from big cities and I figure that they could spot a scam pretty quick and, I have been proven wrong multiple times, right, Lane? <laughs> multiple times, practically every week right now. Um, we're having people sell these new people that come in that aren't used to buying beef by the half hole or any part of the carcass, buying beef now. And they don't know if these guys are feeding them correctly. They don't know if they're their cold cattle. Um, they're selling them for premium price and they're, and we're talking premium price, like people paying a dollar a pound live weight, uh, that'll equivalent to about $4 and 50 cents a pound. If we were to do a carcass weight on that animal and yeah, on a fed, on a fed animal, right? Right. But it's not all these animals are fed. Yeah. Um, we, we, Lane has had the opportunity to see, uh, cows that we would have rather seen go to the sale um, start showing up uh, as part of these people's promise you know they, they that's what they want that's what they were sold and and I asked Lane um, because Lane had called me we've had a few problems right people people think that it, the butcher is always the last guy right he's the last guy in the line and he's always the problem right Lane yeah I'm 
I am such a problem with these customers. But but that's the problem, right? Like like they go and they buy somebody some some beef from a person they don't know usually. Um, they don't have any background with. They heard from a person's person or they found them on the Facebook or they found them online. And now they've got a product that they are expecting to be as good or equal to what they're buying at the local grocery store or the Sam's Club or, or the Costco. And um, the problem is um, most of the stuff is terrible, like terrible to the point that I would say it would make bad hamburger. And a lot of it is. And the, and the next problem is, is then these people go online to do their research and they go to the extension, university extension information right. and things. And they're talking about fed beef, good practice carcasses that are premium carcasses. Um, that have been on grain. Been on grain. and Minimum 120 days at, and, a, at a registering feedlot. Yeah. And what they're, what they're getting is... Um, call um, Holstein's call Cole Holstein mixes just uh, they, the cows came back terrible from the mountains because we didn't have we had a drought year yeah, and they didn't put any feed into them and all they are is they're killing these animals and then saying yeah this is premium animal and then they get them from me and first of all they say well we got a half of beef that weighed 350 pounds and where's our meat because we only got about 50% yield on it. And, and that's the that's the education part, right? Um, these people are going online and they're looking at uh, a statistical analysis on beef breed animals. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, after seeing what we've been killing, most of these animals are dairy-influenced in some way. They're not a beef animal. They are a dairy-influenced animal. And big-bone dairy animals just don't yield well. And then they want them aged for ever, ever, right? Like, and like so a, we go, ugh. so we go in, and we have to cut them, but we cut the outside age off because all that is is rot, and, and it's it, dry, right? It, it's a yeah, dried it's out dry, piece of jerky that's going to make it or hard it has, and tough, or it has a bacterial growth on it that they don't want in their meat, right? And and we we do a really good job if we can get to talk to the customer, explaining to them that the worst thing you can do is age this thing out like like lanes had people want to go over a month you know and, and I, we did it one time once and we'll never do it again you can go take your beef anywhere you want i don't care we aren't doing 30 day age dries we aren't doing it again and so it's it's just a a big cluster at the end because they think that they're getting first of all what comes in on the carcass weight is what they should be getting as a finished weight, number two, then they're getting, because they want it age so long and things, they're getting a backside penalty because we have to trim it down so so far. And, and then it's hard for them to fathom, well, this means that I'm actually paying 8 or $9 a pound for this beef. Well, yeah, that's the reality of it, the way you've done it. Well, and that's the problem, right? They have chosen to go out and do it this manner. Like, like we, here's the deal. For the last three years, I have made sure that my father-in-law and a few other people we know have full access to Wagyu bulls. And during this time, they've been selling F1 animals for 325 to 425 hanging weight. Correct. And we cover the butcher fee. 
right? So, th- so these people out the door are anywhere between 325 and 425. On the carcass weight. On the carcass weight. Mm-hmm. We're taking the shrink up front. We're also taking a lot of, you know, it, it, we're not losing money on the deal by any means, but we are taking the invested time because, heck, we could kick them F1s loose any day of the week to any of these programs, especially the one in our backyard or down at Mishima, and we end up with a premium on top. Heck, we were on a 400-pound F1 calf. We were around $1,300 in return this year. So we brought them in. We literally put them in the bunk for 30 days and shipped them down the road. You know, our profit margin once we hit the backside is about $1,300. Yeah, and that's a lot easier than what we're doing in the meat shop. Right, like 18 months of me feeding these animals, right? Right. Like, like I'll make quick money every day of the week. I, I, ain't, I ain't afraid to do it. But we do hire, we do have a service that we provide, and we have a butcher shop, so we utilize some things. Does it cost us more money? No, it's a wash in the end. We either make the money real quick or we make it slow. But we make the same money either way. Correct. So the problem is, is now you have a person buying an animal that has not done well on the range, been sucked down by a calf. They bring it home, give it some alfalfa in a bunk, and these people are selling it as a premium product for a dollar a pound. I think we're retarded, Lane. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I should be selling these steers at dollar a pound live weight. I'd get $8 a pound in return. Heck, that's only $2 less than we're getting on our full bloods. That's true. So what am I doing wrong? Uh, you're doing it right. Well, I'm just saying. I know. But if you look at it from a dollar and cents point of view, I'm not doing it right. As a producer, I am not doing it right. The difference between me and everyone else, I have a shop. I have the ability to get my animals in. I have a pathway to sell them. I can tell you right now that... If we wanted to, to liquidate out every Wagyu in our, in our feeding program, it probably would take us about three months, and we would kill them all. They would all be gone. They would all be packaged out, and we would never have to look for someone to come and get them. Correct. We do business with these other people like Mishima and, and Snake, River Ranch, Snake River Farms and, and you know Imperial. We, we do business with them. Not because we're doing it to make a bunch of money. We're doing it so that they get access to the best bulls in the market at a reasonable rate. And it works really well. And Oh, yeah. And let's face it, Steve. We make a lot more money on the genetics. Oh, yeah, by far. And the, ball, and the bulls and things than we, we do on our meat program or even our... Right. Yeah. Right. But here's the reality of it, though, and I tell people this all the time. The reason we got into the, the meat game was twofold. I was tired of people screwing my shit up, for one. That's just one of it. But the second reason was, is no one in this industry collects true data. That's true. We have seen it over and over again, and I'm going to have the haters that always hate, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing, or he doesn't have meat pictures, or he doesn't have this or that. It doesn't really matter, because I have an internal database that's actually real. That isn't full of fictitious numbers because we have not only AI'd or bred these animals, but we turned around and we put them in another cow and we ran them as a surrogate. And then on top of it all, we have daily gain data, which none of you in, the, in this industry have right now because nobody takes the time to do it. And, and, and high feed price right now, Lane, average daily gain is paramount to any industrial man. I don't care what you're selling. Yeah, that's true. There's also the... People out there 
who think it's easy to get in this game. We're seeing it a lot lately. And they're and they're taking shortcuts and doing making some decisions that um, down the road it hurts their their quality one hundred percent. We were talking about one the other day. Right. Locally. You know, they if most people who I would say within five hundred miles of where we live if you're a major breeder, there are a couple exceptions in there. Um, I know what they have and I know what they're doing most of the time. Right. Uh, on top of that, if they were to pass away, they've always, I've always been one of the people that get some of the first calls and I go pick through what I'd like and I pay top dollar for it and, and we go home. The part that's hard for me is I'm watching people now see this and then they're coming up behind and they're picking up they're picking the bones. That's what I like to call it. Okay. Kind of like vultures? Kind of like vultures. Okay. And and they're at the bottom of, of the genetic pool for that herd because the good stuff's already gone. And they buy it at a premium price. And then they wonder in five years, six years down the road, while why their stuff's not selling like our stuff is. And the reality is, if me and Lane wanted to, to be honest about this, I've got a backlist not only on calves that are born, but on genetics because we're just backordered on stuff. It's just the reality of, of us doing the things we've done for the last eight years that build our ability to sell genetics worldwide. What about, Steve, people using untested bulls and or way old bulls beyond their prime? So the problem with an untested bull is, is A, you just don't know what you're going to get. There are those guys that have to make the jump, right? I, I would say the, the biggest industry that's learned how to utilize untested bulls is the Holstein industry. So a bull in his first two years of the Holstein industry, when they're trying to prove him out, they will, no joke, sell that semen to penny, you know, one or 2% over cost. So you're $5, you know, five bucks a straw. Okay. Cost them $3 to put it up. And they get that bull out there and they put him in front of thousands of females. And then they get data back. And then that bull semen, based on his genetic merit being passed, goes up or down. If it goes down, they usually get rid of him and you never see him again, right? Right. Um, but if it goes up, geez, some of these bulls, they, they get expensive in the Holstein industry. And people, people don't realize that. You know, some of these top bulls, you're talking about an industry where $45 semen, $100 semen is a lot of money. And some of these high test bulls, the high, high milk content bulls that put milk into a lot of females, they, they go for a ton of money. Uh, but they tested them, right? There was a time there where they were cheap and you could have got in on it. It's kind of like getting into a new business uh, on the ground floor. It's the cheapest time to buy into a business is when it just first starts. So here's the problem. In the Wagyu game, I want to see how many people are collecting data. And then there's two kinds of data we should always collect. We should have the apples to apples data, full blood to full blood. And then we should have some F1 data because let's be honest, the commercial cattleman will buy more semen from an, a Wagyu guy than anybody else or a dairy, right? Dairies buy a ton too. Correct. Um, those are the two industries. If you're going to just want to give your stuff away, that's where you send it. Now, the problem is, is when you start comparing F1s with full bloods, you're now comparing apples and oranges, it doesn't make it doesn't breed true all the way through. And here's another problem. Lane. It's better to probably com compare an F one 
breed to say another beef breed, right? To that you're or other, breeding them with, right? Yeah, yeah or, or other F ones, right? Right. Like there's getting to be enough F ones out in the world that you can say, okay, F one Angus or F one Red Angus or F one Gelvy or F one Charlet. These are the outcomes I'm getting. But if you can't do that, I think you would be better off stepping back and using the less quality breed, which is probably going to be whatever you're breeding it to, and and see where it stacks up there. Oh, it's in the top 1% of, of marbling for the Angus guys. Correct. Well, then we can start looking, okay, where does it fall truly within the Wagyu game? It's, but it's, it's, it should be measured on its own. Hell, Angus has done Angus on dairy and a dollar figure for years. The Wagyu world, we can't even figure out how to do dollar beef. And it's a it's an industry standard. I don't care. You're you're gonna say, oh no, Australia does it. No, they don't. They do breed index. It's different. Like you cannot say that that you're going to genomically know what this animal is gonna bring. And I'm gonna tell you right here why. Okay, Lane, how many siblings do you have? I have one full sibling and three half siblings. Is your full sibling? which I know is a sister. Does she look just like you? No. She's, she's pretty good looking. I'm, I'm not. Is she the same body shape you are? No. Do your children and her children look eerily similar? Not at all. So let me, let me explain this to all of you new breeders out there. Just because you bought a flush brother or a flush sister or a half brother of a bull, let's take a, an easy one. Right now, everybody's talking about let's let's talk red game because I I get the black game's not near as fun. Master Chef right now is becoming one of the hottest bulls in the market because there's not much semen. Steve Borland's been looking around for it. The people that have it aren't willing to really let it go. Now I have got a cow that we have made a lot of embryos from. Uh, I have multiple Master Chef females. Lane, um, who do they look like? If we were to go out in the pen. Who do they who do they appear to look like? Our D4 cow. All except what? Rowan. Yeah. He looked, looked nothing, nothing like, like the cows. Nope. So genetically, how it works is when an animal is conceived, you have a random genetic variation that is smashed together, and you do not know what's gonna come out of that. You can say you're gonna genetically test it, but it's not gonna show what it's gonna express. Correct. And then now we have another one. Here's that. That's the great word, Lane. Express. So what do I always tell you about express genetics, Lane? Well, you always look at the mom. I always look at the mom. Always. Always. If I wouldn't buy their mother, I won't buy them. And if you won't buy the mother, you won't buy a both. Right. Ever. From, from the whole line. From her. Right. Now, Lane, how many times have I bought the mother of the cow we went and looked at along with the cow we looked at? Every chance you get. Every chance I get. So what I have what I can tell you right now, and this has scientifically been proven across 100 journals, you cannot accurately say what the genetic variance is going to be in any animal. Then you have the whole issue of you have expressed genes, the genes that you have passed through. If you don't feed that animal, you don't take care of that animal, you don't practice good animal husbandry, they will never express 100% of that gene variation. 
And we see that every day. We see it every day. And we're seeing it more and more because Lane's been doing a ton of Wagyu for other people lately. And he gets weird questions. And this is my favorite one. Man, this looks like the best one you've ever seen, right? (laughs) And you have to take him through and you say, okay, you see all these thick, hard marbling. Yeah, that looks really good. Well, that's not what we really want. We want the really nice finds. See this stuff in between it that you can barely see? Yeah, that's what we're looking for. That's what makes it tender. That's what makes it good. And you don't have very many finds. And when we start talking about fat melting point, the fines melt at a direct temperature of the caudal fat. The thick, heavy marbling is a higher melting point. Like the outside fat of the animal. Right. So, you know, that's why when Lane does my Wagyu, we do a very important thing. We always fat melt test. And we always make sure we know what we're going to get. So here's the, here's the first problem. Corn is not going to help you on your fines. Corn is the biggest detriment that I'm finding in the other people's feeding because it makes the fat off-white. And hard. And Yeah, and it makes a lot of coarse marbling within the inner, inner muscles of the meat. And for years we've been, we feed a little corn, we feed a little corn silage, but a majority of our stuff, we use cereal grains. Your soft cereal grains. We, we, just, we have them available, so that's what we do. They're harder to feed because you can screw a cow up real quick and give them acidosis, but if you're a competent person and you can feed appropriately and you have a very important thing on your side called a nutritionist, it's not that hard. And that's what I find number one issue with these people who are trying to feed these Wagyu out is they don't have good information and they refuse to go to an pay a nutritionist to help them with their their ration and most of the nutritionists i know if you'll just buy some products from them we'll do your nutrition work for free and, and it's real easy right i mean i was talking to a guy the other day and and he actually for his first wagyu it didn't look too bad did it steve it wasn't terrible it, like, it was probably better than 80 percent of the out-of-market stuff that we get. Right, and and it would be comparable to our F1s we're selling. Like, I think it's a, a good... He did a good job. He did. Um, I'm not sure how much of his problem wasn't genetics. And we've discussed we can feed a little bit. We can augment the genetics a little bit with feed. Right. But it, the but they're real bad genetics and stuff there's very little uh, that we can do right and it's getting more and more and like when i first started there wasn't the pool of piss poor genetics that there are today like back in the day you could go out and buy a bull and you could be 80 percent assured that it would do okay i would say now in the wagyu industry especially in the in the reds uh, even more in the blacks that i would say that it's flipped now you're getting about 20% really good genetics, and a majority of the genetics should have never been allowed to be a bull. 
And a lot of that is we've talked about before. They don't have real data. They have presumptive data, right? Exactly. Or, or it's the new fad out of Australia. And for some reason, everybody takes EBVs as a, as the Bible, right? That that's the, that's the word of, of the, the Wagyu gods. And I will tell you right now, data is only good as who collects it and puts it in. And in a game like Wagyu, you're going to have, un, you can have, you're going to have data that's put in. That's not totally truthful because there's so much money at stake. And that's where it hits the industry the hardest is that people people are going to tell you about their wins, but they're never going to tell you about their faults. No, it's kind of like... I mean, you learned this last year, right? Yeah. Oh, we should be able to finish an animal in 23 months. We should be able to do it. I firmly believe that we had the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. I firmly found out that I was sadly mistaken and may have possibly made a dumb shit move. But it was good beef. Yeah, the people was, that went to, they loved it. Oh, yeah. It was good beef, and people loved it. But it wasn't what we were after no. as a finished product. No. Now, this week's kill, that's what we were after for a finished product. <laughs> Let me tell you about this. This, this uh, steer is absolutely... He my, is a giant. Oh, my my gosh. And he's not a fluke giant because he's got five brothers, half brothers that are in the pen with him that are every bit as big. So the biggest Wagyu we've ever had hanging weight went to one of our good clients last year. Mm-hmm. It was 1,436 pounds. Mm-hmm. His steer this year weighs what length? 1,368. Right. So 100 pounds less. Mm-hmm. But you look at this, this beef. And it's huge. Right? Oh, and, and it's huge in the right way. It has yeah. it has a rump. Yeah, it has a rump. The hindquarters of this beef, the hindquarters, 310 and 305 pounds a piece. Right. As much as we're selling a good half for in the other in the other yeah. well-fed animals, and, right? And me and Lane were Just talking. Just in the rump, yeah, right? Me, me and Lane were talking about this yesterday while we were driving around. I'm selling a full-blood Wagyu, and my half weighs as much as some people's halves on, on conventional cattle. Yeah, our quarters weigh as much as people's halves. Right. And then the front, 460 pounds, 480 pounds. Right. It's at Monster Ribeyes, Monster Tenderloins. The New Yorks are, are finally the shape I like them. I mean, we're going to cut that Wednesday. And and it's all but white. And it's way white. Yeah. You know, and, and here's the deal. I figured it out the other day, Lane. I, I usually don't like to air our laundry out on the, on the podcast, but I, wanna, I want people to think about this as a business from here on out. And, and, go, and I'm going to tell you right now, screw it. I'm just going to tell you. So we have these animals. They've been on feed for 823 days. Yeah. It's what it is. That cost me... $2,995 to feed them. That's true. Let's say I have two grand. Two grand is what we're going to give the value of the animal before I started feeding them. So that's four grand, right? So uh, $5,000. Let's okay, say, let's round it up, five grand. Okay. So we sell our Wagyu at $10 a pound, hanging weight. Mm-hmm. So Lane, how much money did we make? Nine Six. Grand. Six thousand, about six hundred, six hundred, six thousand six hundred bucks. 
so that's profit. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I have a question for everyone out there. How can you not feed them for 800 plus days? And we've learned by sad experience. Yeah, I did it earlier this year. We, when we I, short them. I screwed up a carcass that I think would have been one of the best carcasses we've ever had by killing it early. He was cranky for weeks. Yeah, because I knew what I did. Right? I knew what I had done once I looked at it. And, and, and when it first came through, and I mean, it had all the cover. The cover that we wanted, it didn't have the cover this one has. No. And, we're, and I told him, I said, Steve, if we can get the inside with this fat cover on the outside, it's going to be a home run. Yeah. And, and this is Black Wagyu, right, guys? Like, like, let's be, let's be, let me just tell you right now, it's Black Wagyu, right? Um, we can do a red in about 24 to 30 months any time of the year. I can do those 24, 30 months. 24, I, I, if I will, we go 30, uh, we'll be happier. If we go 24, it doesn't make us sad, right? Yeah. But, but these, red, these black genetics, we have to push them out to the 36 month of age. That, and, and here's the deal. That animal was 36 months, six days. Yeah. So don't tell me that it's too expensive to feed these cattle. When you tell me that, that tells me that you don't have a clientele built up that you should have. You're trying to sell this to Monpa, not the influential people of your community or the people that you know that, that have a desire for food and a pocketbook to pay for it. Okay, Steve. So that's what they need to be doing is cultivate their market. Right. And educate your people. And the other thing, though, I mean, let's face it. You have a little bit of an advantage over most people in... Um, a a type clients. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? That's that's. I mean, that's you know everybody in the world, right? Yeah, and that's what we do, in right? In the like, Hereford like, world, in the entertainment world, in the political world, in and they know me first name. They come up and talk right. to me, not even about cows because of the other businesses that I run and the things that I do. I am around people of influence every day of the week, and then we. We cut for all these people for the Elk Ranch, right? Right, right. So people so, that have lots of money, right, right. Lead singers of bands, you know, big bands in America, right. like like huge rock bands from the eighties. You know, hell, Jimmy Kimball lives three and a half hours, what forty five minutes? Yeah, and we sell him a half a beef every year, every year. But that's what I'm saying, people. You have to cultivate your own stuff. You, you can't just think that this is a get-rich-quick scheme, which is what people are starting to do, Lane. And the other thing they have to do is they have to. Realize the value of what they have. Right. And not... Here's a prime example of this. Cut their throat, yep. right? Here's a prime example of this. So Lane and me have, have a business model set up for the butcher shop. We, ha- we give a better quality returned product than anyone in our valley or probably the surrounding butchers, let's just say within 200 miles. Because we know them all within 200 miles. And I can honestly say that I feel like we do as good a job or better than everyone within the 200 miles. Yeah, and there's there's a few. They, like, they do uh, great jobs. Boston. Uh, but that's still past, 200, that's yeah, past but 200 miles. They, but they're pretty... They're yeah, but Boston's do a great job. They do a great job, and there's a few others that um, do a great... You, you know, Sweet, okay, but Sweet Cheeks and Jackson does a great job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there are other people that have taken the 
high road, right? Right. But here's the thing. We do not, we are not the cheapest shop and we never will be. Never. Because I will not let Lane work for free. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. We're not going to be the, oh, we can do it for 50 cents hanging weight. Yeah. And we're not going to, and we're going to pay our employees a livable wage, right? And that's the big one, right? And and I don't want anybody to confuse us with the, the liberal movement of I need a living wage. There is not a person at our shop that gets paid what they get paid because we thought they just needed a livable wage. Yeah, we they earn every penny they get, and if they're productive, and they make us money, we we, we, make we sure reward they make them. Money. We re, our payroll is based on performance, and I can tell you right now, we have the one of the heaviest payrolls per person in our area when it comes to butcher shops. But it's okay. We get production, we get time, we get the amount of animals out we need, and people are happy. You know, you start looking at Facebook. You know, Lane Lane the other day was like. Um, you know, you start looking at Facebook stuff. Everybody's so happy with the stuff they do. You have those, you know, those few people that just don't get things or they're mad because they bought a beef that sucks or, you know, but you have those, those problems, but overall you have no problems because even when we make a mistake, we make our crew fix it. If they did it, or if we did it, we make it right. And that's all, you know, that's best you can do. No one's going to be a at 100 every single time, right? Nope, no way impossibility. No, and even if we were batting 300, well, that's only 30% of your hits. And, yeah. And and they pay people millions to do that. Well, and, and here's the but, other here's the other thing. I've always, I, I always keep Wagyu at the shop so that Lane can make people happy if we do, we do st- stupid things. I call it a Wagyu tax. Yeah. Uh, we do dumb things, they get free Wagyu. And it and it works pretty well. It's it's amazing what a couple of sirloin tip steaks or a couple yeah. patty, couple of packages of wagyu patties or whatever. And, and I will tell you right now, everyone out there, you are absolutely backwards if you're selling your wagyu burger for under five dollars a pound. I'm sorry, you're you just need to go to another industry if that's what you're going to do. Yeah, we. We average our patties between twelve and sixteen dollars a pound. Yep, and That's, we do and we do one third pound patties. And then we do depends on how much we have. We'll have a sale once in a while, but it's usually six bucks is the lowest I've ever sold it. And we usually average about ten. Right, and six was because I had a friend who was doing something that was pretty cool. Yeah, um, and it wasn't like charity based, so I told him we had to charge him for it. Um, Charities wise, we give Wagyu away all the time. Oh, yeah, it'd be scary to actually go back in and add all the stuff that well, we've given you, away. You know, right? benefit charity for benefits. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, somebody gets hurt stuff. real bad and needs some money. We're always up for throwing in a, a brisket or, heck, we've done tenderloins once. We've done patties for the firefighters. We've done, you know, countless things that bring value to our community. Yeah, and people appreciate it, and the word gets out and. And I get busier. Yeah, that's that's you know that's always the problem. So so here's the quandrum I put Lane in. <laughs> so uh, we have a good client, and we we know that he usually gets his stuff around this time. That's just when he usually gets his stuff. And yep. We were a little Lane went on vacation to Arizona <sighs> because he thinks he needs to go see his kids and grandkids. <laughs> 
yeah every once in a while but. yeah every once in a while we let him out of the shop and then he then he's late and doesn't call people like he's supposed to but we finally get a hold of um, the gentleman and and he goes from an order of one beef to one and a half beef <laughs> and um, so we're gonna actually have to add a couple animals in uh, so that we can do that but the problem Lane has already done is he has filled all of our kill slots but we did have Pig, three three, three drop-off for next week. So. Right, right. So we'll have room, right? So we have room, yeah. And I will tell you, um, on a good working floor, one Wagyu is probably equivalent to two beef by the time the work's done. Lane's saying three, but... Because they're, they're so big and they're so hard to work with. Right, right. And it slows us down and stuff. We usually do one big Wagyu in a day. We usually do three beef in a day, two and a half to three beef in a day, and we just... And haven't the, been able to add. And the Wagyu is hard because Lane Lane has to take more time because not only A, is he cleaning all the bones and cutting canoe bones and saving knuckles, and, and but he's got to spend time leaning that hamburger out. Nobody wants 40% fat hamburger. It takes some time, right? Right. And and then here's the other downside. And now this customer's wanting more hamburger. Right. And now the has, yeah. So we used to get away with doing a lot of stew meat, carne asada, well, now this this customer has decided that he needs more burger, and I bet you it all ends up in patties. Yeah, and he's gonna want, and he's gonna say, take the take the parts that usually have the most fat and stuff, and and make me some pretty lean burger. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and and here's the thing of it. Um, as long as you're always thinking about your costs or knowing your costs, you can charge appropriately. It's when you have no damn idea because you fed them every day, but you didn't keep track of anything that you don't know what you have to have out of them. Like like the, the true honesty of it, do I need to charge $10 a pound? No. That is, that is not... I don't have to have $10 a pound to make it work. Oh, for, for the on carcass on weight? On carcass weight, right? No, we don't. I, don't, I don't. No, we don't. But I set a standard that I wasn't going to work for three years for any less. Yeah, I wasn't going to work in that shop in my retirement age. For, right. For, if right. It wasn't going to be worth it for us, right? right? But but everything I do in my life, I expect a, a percentage profit in my life, 20%. Everything I do, luckily, I don't have to work for wages anymore. Like, I don't do it. Um, I work and I get paid percentages. Uh, and usually when I'm contracted somewhere, it's 20% of the total revenue of the business for the year that is my payment to come and fix your stuff when you break it and i'm very good at it and i've never had anybody balk at it so that's that's what i'm telling you you need to figure out what you're worth what your animal's worth and what you need and make that triangle and work it out now lane here's the problem we're having in the shop right now you're getting these wagyu in what is the average weight of the average wagyu yep but the ones we're taking from everybody else about seven fifty. So, I have a thirteen hundred and sixty pound wagyu. They're bringing in a seven hundred and fifty pound wagyu. Yeah, we can we. They're about double. Can we see a problem here? As a breeder, as you guys listening, can you see a problem with this equation already? You're killing your animal too soon. Yeah, way too soon. Wagyu is a slow maturing breed, so we have to let them mature, right? Mm -hmm. It's like anything else. 
you don't want them too old because then they get tough and nasty, and you don't want them too young because then they're too small and they're tender, but they're not as flavorful. Yeah, it's it's a, and it's not really a fine line there, Steve. No, it's when the animal's ready. Yeah, uh, I will tell you a secret. We don't ever look at their age, and we don't ever look at how many days they've been on feed. Mm-mm. Uh, until they end up in lane slocker, and then I go back and I pull the ear tag, and we adjust. You know, I do all my, all the math, and we see what the average daily gain was, and all that stuff. I don't look at those numbers because I'll start cheating. Cheating. We have now gone to the point where an animal is slaughtered based on appearance. Yep. When that hind quarter finally fills out. Yep. So it doesn't look like it's got a frog butt. Right. And, and, and it has a full is, round. And this is and this is the thing. They're ready to go. It's red or black. They both have the same problem. Yep. So once that, that rump's filled, I will tell you a secret we have found, and this is just might just might be our, our location and what we're doing. But we have found that is the key point in which we slaughter animals. If it looks like a buffalo, it's too early. That's right. That's that's the truth, right? Yeah. If it looks like a, a an American buffalo. Yeah. It's a bison. Too, yeah, a bison. It's too early. Right. It's got a big front quarter. Little bit front, front heck, and a lesser lesser size proportion butt. Right. When the butt fills out to proper proportion with the rest of the animal, you're, you're ready. ready. And and the other thing Lane's seeing too though with these is a lot of them are first time guys. Right. They're first-time purchasers, breeders. I'm not sure what they're doing sometimes. But they ended up with a Wagyu, and this is what they've turned into us. And they ask us, they ask us, well, what would you do different? And you say, well, first of all, we would feed them till they're fully developed and ready. Do not shortcut the process. And number two, get your nutritionist involved first. Right. So you know what your ration is. You know what you have going into them. And, do and not use a heavy corn ration. It isn't good for them. And on top of it, we live in Idaho. Yeah. You want to talk about expensive food? Corn for us. Yeah. We don't grow that crap here. We just don't. It, 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 we're too high. We're too cold. We don't have a long enough growing season. We can get some silage corn gone, gone and done. But to get real good feed corn, we're just not going to get it. So we have to do other things. And there's other things out there that are better for feeding Wagyu. Correct. And probably feeding all cattle in general. Uh, Corn's been the standard for all these years because of how cheap it's been. Right. The amount amount that we produce. Right. Right. But that's no longer becoming the case. We're seeing a time in this country where cost of corn is higher than it's ever been. I'm glad we don't have 80% of our ration corn like I see in a lot of these people. Yeah. So, you know, so, so now Lane gets to tell them, oh, you've done this. And then the worst thing that can happen to Lane is I have a Wagyu carcass sitting in there. Because then they have to come to the conclusion that they've done something wrong. And then for some reason, they like to blame Lane. Well, it's interesting because some of these guys know that we have the Wagyu cards, right? Right. And they'll come and say, they'll come and say, well, what's it look like on the Wagyu card? It has to be a 10 or 11, right? You hand them a two. And so we take the pictures, and when they come in, 
we go through, well, this is a 10 and 11. Does this look what yours is? He said, oh, no. Then we'll go down to like about a six. Does that look like what you brought in? Oh, no. <laughs> then we'll go down to our lowest card, which is a three. We'll say, does that look what you brought in? And they'll compare it to their picture, and they'll say, yeah, maybe a touch better. But <laughs> it's always a touch better. It's to always you. a touch better to them. But then the question is, so what do I need to do to get them better? And the answer always is, feed them longer, feed them better. Yeah, and get your nutritionist involved. So I do a lot of things, and I'm really good at a lot of things, and that isn't even one thing that I even play with. The nutrition right, right. I just recipes, call, I right? Just, I just call our nutritionist. Yeah. Hey, uh, dude, this guy does this all day long, five days a week for 40 hours a week. And then we have data, and we take pictures and say, this is what we got. We want something right, right. different. Or, or I take him the picture and I go, dude, let's look at this. I have too much of this and not enough of that. I don't like my ribeye shapes. Then we change the quantities of what we're using. But it's all based on data and science and keep tracking. Right. That's all. And if you don't have that, you're just... You're in sh trouble. You're sh shaking the dice and... Right, rolling them and hope you don't crack out. Right, right, right. It's like playing roulette and deciding you're not going to bet. You're going to bet on zero, on a double. Zero. So here's the wild thing, right? Side topic, real quick. <laughs> Do you know, Lane, that in the gaming industry right now, there is not very many places that are running single zero roulette wheels anymore. Really, everybody's gone to a double double zero roulette roulette wheel. And why is that? Because the house has a 40% more advantage on you once they go to a double zero. So you already have a 60-40 split with a single zero roulette wheel. The minute they add another zero on that roulette wheel, the house now has an 80% advantage over you. I guess that's why I never play roulette. Right, right. But these people are. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, managing in the casino industry, you learn these things. It's called profit, profit, profit. And they've had such a bad time with COVID that they've decided that this is how they, they need to play some of these things to provide enough back payment from the money that they expended from their personal accounts to keep their casinos open. There were a lot of casinos closed during the period. right. All of them were for a while. Yeah. So so, but that's that's the side that's the sidebar, right? Yeah. So, but Lane, here's here's another thing. Um, let's talk about what not to do if you're a wagyu breeder. So, an average wagyu calf is worth, let's just say, a cheap one, four grand. Okay. An expensive one, hundred grand. Depends and, on what it is. Yeah, and in in the middle, so let's average it. Let's say forty-five thousand. Right, right for a very good one, right? Yeah. Let's so let's say this is at the bottom half. Let's say five to ten. Okay. We're going to use a five to ten average. Okay. So Lane, what is the worst thing that you could do with a wagyu cow? The worst thing I could do with a wagyu cow? Yeah. What happened to you last week? Oh yeah. We took this uh, wagyu cow, and the guy said, "Well, she's she's open." I know she hasn't bred. 
And there's no way she could have a calf. And we put her in the feedlot. That's what he said. And we fed her out. She couldn't have got... Nothing could have got to her. But she looked pregnant. But... He, he, but he said, definitely yeah, she, no. Yeah, she's not, she's not pregnant. So, so we, she, we butchered her. And we... Dumped dropped an out an eight and a half month progressed calf. calf. He killed... <laughs> he threw, what did we say, five to ten thousand yep. dollars in the bone trailer, right? Because he didn't even have the time to, to verify to verify if she was pregnant or not, and that's not hard to do. And she looked very pregnant, <laughs> and we had that conversation. Yeah, and I, and Lane had had that conversation because the the butcher crew, uh, they're cattlemen, and they asked Lane. Hey, and that cow looks pregnant. Well, he came out there. Right. And she, he verified, verified multiple times to Kelly. Right. No, she can't. She cannot be pregnant. And I don't care how mean a cow is or how terrible a cow is. I get rid of them, right? I get rid of cows that are problems. Right. But we don't dump calves that are ready to be born. Ever. Now, you, you get a cow bred and she's three months long, so be it. Like, that's where I cut my line at, right? Yeah. I don't like it. I don't do it. But that's where I can see expendability. Like, you didn't realize that she was bred at three months. Like, it's almost impossible rather, you know, unless you take her in and have the vet checker. Yep. Now, opposite side of this. You killed a cow for me this week, Lane. Mm-hmm. And I told the crew what? I can guarantee you she's open. Yep. And because we manage our cattle, yep, we can say that. Yep, she was open. She she needed to be down, she down the road. Be, yeah, she needed to be. So the problem is, guys, is we're not we're not managing our cattle. We're not we're not doing proper animal husbandry, and because of that, you're costing yourself money sometimes. And there's, we all do, I, I have a, I have weird little things that I don't do that everybody else does, you know, but don't, don't miss on the big stuff. Like the big stuff's so easy to get right if you just pay attention and do what you're supposed to. Uh, the other problem, you know, come around is stop buying embryos, people, from a cow that produces less than 10 embryos every time they flush her. That is a genetic heritable trait. In an upcoming podcast, we'll talk about that. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't own a flush cow that doesn't produce at least 20 embryos of flush. We don't do it. I could afford not to do it, but, but I have set, an, again, a standard of fertility that we will keep until the day I die. Sometimes it takes a couple flushes to... Right. Get to that point, right? Right. Our first flush doesn't usually give us 20, 25. Well, yeah, because they're heifers and they right. haven't had a calf, right? Right. But I'm doing that for a different reason. That's an right. insurance policy. Yeah. That's in case Draco's mom kills over on me and I don't have I have genetics to take care of them, right? I have some right. more I can make. Right. We'd, I don't like collecting hard data on cows until they've had their first calf. And then we do it across a minimum of five flushes per year. So, you know, I've got a cow, um, 
her best flushes have been in the 40s and her worst flushes have been in the 1819s. And that's across her life. She's like eight years old. So that's what I try to tell people. I go, you know, we're now starting to flush her daughters. And guess what, Lane? Her daughters are flushing like she did. They're flushing as good or better. So here's the deal. So I've got 20 Master Chef calves coming in a, in a contemporary group, all to one cow. We'll have 10 of them as a March-April calving and 10 of them as a August calving. So I will be able to tell most people in the red exactly what you're going to get in a 10 contemporary group off of 20 contemporates, right? Correct. And they're going to be spaced evenly enough. We're doing two contemporates of 10. Right. So that we can judge whether we should be calving in the spring or in the fall. And those are the things, guys, that we need to start doing if we're going to expect this breed to move another step forward. Everybody's like, well, we're not Angus. I understand you're not Angus, but you better sure as hell want to have some of the stuff they've got. Because they got some cool stuff. They have the ability to go, oh, we know these genetic markers flow through more than others. Now... Would I like to deal with Angus's feet? No, but I've seen Wagyu lately who have as bad a feet as any of the Anguses I've ever been around. And even worse than some of the Herefords. And that's saying something. When I got in this breed, the feet were good all the time. But everybody's breeding every animal rather than culling the ones they're supposed to. And when we first started this business, Steve said to me, Lane... We're going to do what most people don't. Or won't. Or won't. And he says, we're going to call the ones that don't meet our standard. And, we've and had the standard's high. And most of them may not meet it by just a little bit. But they're called, they either go in the meat program or they go down the road to... A commercial program? A commercial program. But we don't because we don't want the problems to give other people down the road. Right. Especially full-blood breeders. Yeah. And he says, how do we do that if we don't get the data, we don't keep it straight, and if we don't want our own herd to deteriorate, we've got to get rid of the beef that don't meet the standard and i'm not a test herd right lane i refuse to be a test herd i refuse to buy an animal that i've seen no times because he lives in australia that i can't go and put my eyes on i will fly clear across this country to look at a bull for two minutes and come home and not bitch one time about it nope i've i've done it i've gone and went and looked at bulls in florida and when I came home, I was so disgusted by what I saw that we didn't buy anything. And I had a trip to Florida and back, and I did it all in one day because I was so looking for the right things. I've done it to Texas. I've been to Texas multiple times to multiple ranches. I've seen a lot of the great cows of this breed. And, and in between any of those areas, I've, I've, I've been out and seen most animals. Most animals I breed to anyway. And sometimes I find an animal I want to breed to, and then I go look at it, and I go, well, that ain't going to work. Here's a prime example. So Red Emperor had uh, a flush by B647. It's probably one of the best breedings that ever came out of Academy Wagyu. 
they've produced a bull called International off this same mating. They've produced a few other females that have been great. In the U.S., you have the A-series is what I like to call them, A1, A2, A3, A4, and A5. I believe that there's only a couple of them living. A1 and A5 are, are the ones that uh, Rocky Mountain Wagyu held on to. A1 is a giant of a cow. She is just a full tank of a cow. She's a foot longer, 12 inches longer than the rest of the group. Uh, I know Rowagyu Ro had, had a female out of this, and she was a monster. But as, of, of the two, A1 and A5, she is by far bigger, better, stronger, and weans better calves. So I want you guys to think about this. What would it take for you to pay a few extra hundred dollars on an embryo that you know you're going to get something back out of. This game is not about just having animals. It's not like collecting Pokemon cards. It's not. You know, my kids are little. I got little kids right now. I'm going to have them on the podcast for next week. Oh, cool. And, um, and the kids are going to talk about why they love the cows because they're where every day with me. Even their two-year-old, she comes out and she helps the cows. So, but, but this is the deal. I watch them collect Pokemon cards at school. Uh, they don't actually play the game yet, but like they play their own little version of the game, right? They're okay. little kids. Right. But they go out and collect every card they can get a hold of. I take them over to a collector shop, and I'm, I'm weird like this because I love comic books, so I always know where the cool, expensive Pokemon cards are, uh, and go in, and I show them an expensive card. Like uh, I was in a couple weeks ago at, to my favorite comic store and I took my sons and there was a Charizard there and they were asking like 1100 bucks for it. It retails out anywhere for about 1400. So I was going to make a $300 purchase on this and profit. So I picked up the card and I couldn't give it to one of my kids lane <laughs> because they wanted the pack of cards for four bucks Yep. because there were more cards. Right? Right. Don't be a Pokemon collector. Okay. Kind of like Elliot will take the nickels because they're bigger. Right, right. And, and leave the dimes. Leave the dimes for, for his brother. For his brother Spencer. <laughs> but, 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 you know, that, that's little kids, right? Yeah. But, but we're not a little kid. We're no, adults. We're adults. And I will tell you right now, I will produce, I will outproduce anybody in this country. They can probably bring their best three cows in. I will bring my best three cows, and I bet you I'll end up with more embryos by the end of the year. I would not take that bet. And, and if you'd like to, uh, get a hold of me, and yeah. we'll play the game. Yeah. Because I will tell you right now, I'll roll my D4 cow and my Rusha Judo cow in and my Judo cow in. And judo cow's averaging 36 right now. Uh, her early on flushes were like in the 19s and 20s. That was as a young cow. Mm -hmm. uh, Poppy, the Rusha judo cow. Um, it's the judo cow's daughter, bred to original Rusha. Uh, she's cooking them out right now at about the rate of 29 a flush. Remember what we had to do to get oh, Poppy man. looking Oh, she was healthy, terrible looking when she came healthy to Healthy and yeah. good looking and... Yeah, she was a range cow before she became a, a herd cow. A donor a donor prospect is what I like to yeah, call it. Yeah. And let's talk about the D4 cow. So if we, so her average, her lifetime average runs around 23. Of the last five flushes, um, we, we usually get a collectible right around that, right? 21, 22, yeah. 23, sometimes 18. So if I went, let's just conservatively say one week of flushing, it'll ruin. Sean, I'd hate this because he'd be he'd be just shaking his head because 
his day would be so busy freezing embryos. But if I brought those three cows through, in one day, the possibility is going to be right around, let's just say 60 embryos at a minimum. Yeah, to 80. Yeah. That would be an average. That would be a 60 to 80 average per day. Per day. Per collection, so every 28 days. Uh, I don't do IVF. I refuse to do IVF. These cows would probably produce five times that with IVF, but the, the embryos aren't, aren't as tough. If you're doing live, uh, live put in, you know, fresh hot put in, I, I would, I'd think about it. But the reality is, is those three girls will probably outperform most cattle in this industry. But their genes behind them are what make them. So here's so the... So we're back to look at the mother. Correct, correct. We're going to look at the mother and we're going to see what she's doing. I had an opportunity to buy embryos so that I can have Delilah's mother. I finally found them in Australia and I purchased them as quick as I saw them. There's only six left in the whole world. That's it. That's all that's left. And we're going to be shipping them over soon with a bunch of other stuff that I've collected over the last few months. And um, people are going to see some new stuff they haven't seen in the red game. Uh, everybody's like, oh, all the reds are alike because they all have the same same breeding. Like I told you earlier, there is genetic variance in everything. If you want to see true good MasterChef calves, you're going to see them. Everybody looks at MasterChef calves. We haven't let pictures out on MasterChef calves, any of ours, ever, because we don't want people to know we have them. We have hid them in the backfield on purpose because not many guys can say they have 1,800-pound full-blood Wagyu females. We do. I do it because I need a 1,400-pound carcass. I do it because I need that 1,390 or 1,360 to 1,400-pound carcass. I need that because I'm going to feed $3,000 worth of grain. They're going to mar outmarble and outperform their contemporaries because we have genetically made sure that they are there and capable to do that. And we don't breed them to crappy bulls, and we don't breed them to untested bulls. Now, do I breed untested bulls? Yeah, I have to I have to prove our own bulls out. So we breed untested bulls, but we start them on F1s and convert them to full bloods if they can they can beat the the litmus test. That's what everyone needs to start thinking about. And we've even had to call a very beloved bull. Right, because he no small. longer he no longer met the standard of living in our herd. And there were a lot of tears shed over that one. And here's the deal. Not many people can go out and say that they've killed a master chef son. Yeah. And then processed it. Yeah. And, and he was valuable enough and made us enough money early on in semen cells overseas that we decided to donate him to our crew. And every one of them have said that he was as tender as, as a lot of the stuff they've had everywhere else. So... Guys, it's about management. It's about life. It's about loving what you're doing and getting paid to do it. And anymore, if you think that this is going to be your way to get rich, you're in for a ride. You can do it. You can you can become as wealthy as you want, right? You can if you're willing to play the long game. Right. And don't take shortcuts and do it right. And, and nobody ever thinks about, you know, a lot of people step back and like, I'm doing it right. Well, if you're not getting the results that you, everybody else around you is getting or the top percentage of people are getting, you've got a problem. 
So I have a question. We talked about our D4 Kyle. Yep. She's she is she's my favorite. She she is in our she will be the always be in our top hall of fame. And, and here's the deal: when she dies, uh, my truck will have new seats out of her hide. But you have always said that we're going to have her as a collection cow and things for so long and then we're going to just retire her right so she can just live as a cow right and that date isn't too far in the future no is no she'll be she's what model is she so she's a d so she'll be six this year mm -hmm. uh we'll probably do a short flush season in the spring with her and then she will be moved out of our donor herd because she has three daughters that will replace her and that was that's the goal, guys. You need to have a cow that produces better daughters than herself. And the only reason she hasn't been retired yet is that there's a mating that I've always wanted to do, and everybody told me I couldn't get the semen, and I finally somehow got the got to hold of the semen, and we're importing it, you know, shortly from Australia, and I'm not sure how it even made it there, but it somehow stayed exportable, like somehow it got left at a, at a collection facility that's exportable. So I've been hunting high and low for this semen since the day I started in this industry. And there are three straws available and we will do a single flush straw three times. Uh, you know, our, our judo daughter, um, she'll give us 41 embryos on one straw semen conventional. So we've never played the one straw semen game with the big D4 cow. So we figured we might as well try We'll do a single straw first time and a double straw second if it doesn't work. So, but that, that's the reality of it, guys. Um, she has now become, you know, she used to be what I would say is our showpiece cow and everybody needed to come see her. Well, now her daughter, Azalea, is by far a better cow. She's a few inches longer, a few inches taller. And, and she's a bigger pain in the ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's definitely that. She likes to escape. She's an escape artist. But, and we thought Delilah was bad. And, and she was. Her mom was terrible for a while. She'd lick the gate open. We had to lock everything up, like put carabiners on literally every gate we owned. Uh, or she would get out. And now we just have a daughter that can flat foot jump a eight foot fence. It's okay. She, never, she doesn't go far. She stays where she's supposed to. She don't go play in the road. So she's like a kid. She, she knows where she can be. Yeah, the neighbor's, the neighbor's corn patch. Mm. that's her favorite place the dude should just stop growing corn <laughs> well she got our my neighbors stopped growing corn this that's year. right that's yeah. right yeah. He, he got smart he knew yeah. what was going to happen but that's the reality guys we should always be moving for that next step forward so i'm gonna leave uh just a little thought with you at the end of this uh since we're like an hour into it i want everybody to be mindful of of a couple things genetics are fickle you're never going to get the same outcome no matter how, how many of the same embryos you put in. So A, we need to start figuring out contemporary groups in the breed. B, don't breed. Don't be somebody else's test herd. Don't do it. Like, you can be your own test herd on your own animals. Don't do somebody else's for them. That's not, that's not fair to you. Yeah, you might hit the, the roulette wheel and, and pay out well, or you're going to hit double zero, and guess what? You've just lost everything. Keep data if you can. Strive to be the guy who keeps data. Strive to be the guy that makes sure the things are done right. 
Next week, we're going to talk about red genetics. We're going to go into some deep, dark nastiness of red genetics. And we'll even probably have Lane come back because Lane's had to deal with all of this stuff with me because I make him learn genetics too because I need to know where these animals come from, even the ones that aren't ours, so that we can keep an eye on the things that we need to do to make our process better. And then Lane can tell you a little bit about cutting the fork, the 1,360-pound Wagyu. <laughs> I'm just shaking my head. So I, I know it's going to be a long day for those guys, and it's going to be one of them days that he may get cussed by the crew multiple times. It will be. Yeah, Big Wagyu are, are a full day. They're just hard. So, but, that, but that's okay. That's what, that's that's what why, he does. That's why we open the shop, right? Right, that's why we open the shop. And we have all these side things we do in the oh, shop. Oh, Lane's getting a new saw to dem- tomorrow. Oh, boy. Right, so we'll see how the new saw works out. We'll tell you about that, too. Okay, I'll talk to you again later. And, let, and thank you for listening to another episode of What's New in Wagyu.